If you're new to Element, welcome. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. And on the inside, on the left, you're going to get a little reflection on what we talk about today. On the other side, you're going to get questions. And these questions reflect on what we do go through today. And you can talk to one another about it, you know, your friends, your family, your gospel community. On the back, you get the verses we're covering today. And on the bottom of that, you can take some notes in that. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Once you download that, it just says Bible. You click on more and then events, and we will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get sermon notes, uh, verses, questions, announcements, everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? And I'm actually, we're in the book of James, but I'm not going to start at the book of James. I'm going to start to you with Proverbs 10:19, and it says this, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. I'm going to read that to you out of the New Living Translation, which I never quote to you, but it's too good not to. It says, Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Let's pray. Uh, Father, this morning, we ask that you would take us and teach us to be a sensible people uh, who trust you where many times the anxiety that wells up in us where we think we have to say words or figure things out, we'd simply come to a place where we trust you and that we would walk with you and honor you with our lips and with our actions. So today, have us learn what you want us to learn in the midst of the scriptures and that we'd be a people who truly live this life that glorifies you. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are in the New Testament book of James. Uh, this is week five. I cannot believe it is 2022, much less February of 2022 at this point. Seems like time is just flying by. And as a matter of fact, I think the older that I get, the faster time goes. And studies have shown that to be true. The younger you are, time goes, seems to go by slower. And the older you get, the faster it goes. I just say that to let you know I might be dead by next week. Uh, but anyway... <laughs> I find that as I write and put these messages together, it, it's actually taking me four to five minutes longer to preach through them. And what that tells you is that I'm actually slowing down. So those of you who think I talk too fast, I'm actually slowing down. But this is kind of what James does in the beginning of the book. This first chapter, he really slows down and goes through a lot of things. We are going to spend 19 weeks in the book of James. Half of those will be in chapter 1. A lot of people have taken things out of chapter 1 and little sound bites here and there and not put it together as a whole. But we want to look at that entire first chapter as we slow down and as we go through this. So open your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 1. If you have an element Bible, that's on page 654. And I think it's un important to understand in context what James is saying versus many times what we think James is actually saying in the scriptures. And as we look through these words, we want to see where James is going with words that sometimes people misunderstand as legalism, especially in how we live in the midst of our trials. Because when James talks about the things that he does, it really does center itself in the place of grace. And James is going to talk about how we don't have a righteousness on our own. It comes from the person of Christ. And as as we live righteous lives, that is a byproduct of our salvation in relationship with Jesus. And I wanted to say that before we get to what we start to talk about today. All right, so this is James uh, chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. He says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And there's a lot 
lot in there we're going to cover today. And honestly, you're going to get two messages from me today, two little mini sermons, but at the end, I'll put it together and bring it all together. I'm a professional. Trust me. If you get lost, it's your fault. It's not mine. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So James starts with a necessity that I think is very important for our culture today, that God calls us to be this people who are quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. So we'll talk about what those mean first as my first message. So quick to hear. Uh, This could also be in our vernacular translated quick to listen. We're quick to listen. If you go to the scriptures, I think there's a lot of great stories. One of my favorite stories, it's sad and it's funny and it's redemptive at the same time. You have the apostle Paul in the book of Acts and he is teaching these people from, they're coming from this Jewish mindset and he's explaining who Jesus is as the Christ, how he fulfills all of these promises prophecies in the Old Testament, and he goes on and on and on and on, and it is hours, and it gets dark, and it's late. I'm sure people are asking him questions, and there is this kid, his name is Eutychus, and he's sitting in this window, and he falls asleep, and he falls out the window three stories and dies, and you're thinking, how is that funny? Well, what happens is the Apostle Paul runs downstairs, prays over him. Eutychus comes back to life. But you got to think about this. Eutychus is forever immortalized in the Bible. And I think James put his name there so if people had questions, they could go find Eutychus and talk to the family at the time to make sure this is true. But forever immortalized in the Bible, your claiming to fame is you fell asleep in church. That's Eutychus's claim to fame right there. I fell asleep on the Apostle Paul. Now, I have had people send me pictures of their kids who have fallen asleep in element during services. Sometimes people, when you're watching online, they sent me pictures, oh, Aaron's on, and their kids fall asleep. Click, here's a picture. Uh, Chris Hagel, she told me, it's just so funny. Uh, Chris Hagel, her husband is Mark. I'm going to start calling him Mark Eutychus Hagel because when uh, Mark comes, she goes, he likes to sit in the back next to the wall, and then when you talk too long, he just kind of sticks his head over, and he falls asleep. I'm like, hey, that's nice. Take a picture and send it to me next time. That'll be wonderful. Now, what you have to understand, when James is talking about this, it's not necessarily about falling asleep in church. It's that James says we want a heart and minds and lives that are open and receptive to what God is doing. We want to listen. We want to profit from the things that God says. And that is the ultimate concern of James as a pastor. James defends the truth, knowing all that God has said, especially in the midst of our trials. And he's like, fall asleep on Paul, fall asleep on Aaron, fall sleep on me, fine, but don't let your heart and life fall asleep on what God is doing, especially in the midst of those trials. And so being quick to listen is very important for people in the time of James because they were an oral culture. They didn't have a printing press. If you wanted to read or see the book of James, you might only see it once a week. The Jewish people, they would have a thing called the Torah Ark where the books of the Torah we brought out, they'd bring those out maybe once a week. And so this culture learned how to listen and to learn so they could repeat the things that they were hearing and repeat them then correctly. You had to listen. So as the gospel goes forward, it's this people who needed to have their ears open constantly to get what James was saying and the other apostles were saying and the Old Testament scriptures were saying. Listening was imperative. And if you didn't listen, you'd usually end up impoverished in your walk with Christ. Uh, Kent Hughes says this, it is not too dramatic to say that ready listeners gain for themselves a life-giving spiritual advantage. And so listening to God has huge implications for if and when we read and listen to the Bible. Now, today, studies are showing that we in America are becoming a less literate culture. It doesn't mean we can't read, but we retain less of what we read. When we watch the news today, we watch the news. People used to read the news. Now, we watch it. We love sound bites. There's a researcher. His name is David Gordon. 
And he points out that today in our culture, we tend to react to a picture or a six-second soundbite before ever knowing the facts about a situation. And then we make all of our judgments based upon that. And maybe two weeks later, we'll get the truth. There'll be an investigation. They'll figure everything out. And maybe it's different than we thought from that picture or that six-second video. But we're 100 news cycles past then, and we've already made our decisions. And so we're like, no, no, this is what this means, even if that's not exactly what that picture or that six-second video meant. And he said, we today are easily manipulated into believing just about anything. And so when you have YouTube videos or sound bites as the major ways that we learn, we start to run into big issues. And so then Gordon says this really goes to people who want to read and understand the Bible. Because the primary way that we understand the scriptures is we read it and comes into us and it gets deep in us as we think about it and meditate on it. And everything in our culture today is lowering the way that we concentrate and understand the scriptures. Written words seem too mundane to get our attention. We are meant to have daily time where we spend with God, daily devotions, but it suffers when we don't have enough time to actually slow down and spend time with God every single day. Like we are a people, I think, who want God to speak to us. We want God to lead us. We want God to guide us. But yet we want God to do that in between our soccer games and our TV shows and going to the bathroom, whatever else it is. Oh, God, meet me here. Okay, and now I'm doing something else. We are not a people who slow down anymore and listen and spend time with God. We seldom take time day to day to listen to Him. Now, Psalm 46, verse 10 is constantly taken out of context, and I'm going to do it again. But it says, be still and know that I am God. This comes in the context of all kinds of things in Psalm 46. But it's hard to be still when we don't know how to be still. Eme Grimes wrote this poem. I put it in the top of your notes. And it says, Speak, Lord, in the stillness while I wait on thee. Hushed my heart to listen in expectancy. We are a people who need to slow down and hush our hearts and our minds to begin to listen. And this sometimes makes it even hard for me and how we preach and teach and talk to you about the things in the scriptures. Because I don't have NBC peacock feathers. I don't have that. We don't have a hype man running around going, what, what, and a t-shirt cannon, though it would be cool if we had one, you know. It'd be awesome. Uh, I, we don't have car chases and fireworks and things like that. Something must be done. Our hearts and minds need to change if we are going to maintain and enhance our ability to hear God's words. And this means we should become quick to listen. Quick to listen and we slow down. Now, secondarily, we, you know, we do find it hard to listen to God. We also find it hard to listen to other people as well. Now, some of us think we're good listeners and we're not. As psychologist Parternier said this, listen to the conversations of our world between nations as well as between couples. They are, for the most part, dialogues of the deaf. In our world today, there are trillions of words spoken, and a lot of them are not even heard by anybody else around them. We become so preoccupied with ourselves that we cease to listen, not just to God, but also to one another. So I'll give you an example. When I was writing this message and putting it together, it was last year during the Electoral College vote, and the Trump protesters stormed the castle, I mean the Capitol, and there's all these things that kind of came up in that. And I said the same thing during that that I said during the Black Lives Matter protest. I, the exact same thing, I said, there is a reason people felt the need to do this. You don't have to agree with why they did it. And it was, it was terrible what kind of happened in that. But there is a reason why people felt the need to be able to want to do those things. And so you ask, why did you feel that way? What brought about this, whether it's the riots or storming the castle? Either one, why? And when I was talking to somebody about this, they said, oh, yeah, but, it, but it's not like the racial stuff here. And I said, and with that attitude, we're never going to come together. 
we're just going to judge one another. And say, if, if we want to spread the gospel and talk about who Jesus is and his rescue with other people, we have to begin to understand and listen to one another where they are. You don't have to agree with them. But we have to be willing to listen. We have to be willing to step in where they are to be able to speak the good news of the gospel. Not just waiting until they're quiet to throw our two cents in, but really caring what they have to say. Our culture has all of these dialogues of the deaf. And one of the major reasons is we're too busy filling our hearts and our minds with whatever our social medias are telling us, the Instagrams or the Twitter or Google or Facebook or whatever. We keep feeding ourselves the same thing we want to see, and what it does is it closes our mind to everything else. Our self-preoccupation today, it's wrecking our relationship, it is filling our calendars, it's emptying our lives of the ability to listen to anything that turns ourselves away from our own little gods that we worship. Again, we today are so captivated by visual mediums that our attention does not go where it's supposed to go. We lose the ability to listen or to concentrate to the things that we are supposed to. Uh, Adlai Stevenson, when he was giving his Princeton commencement address, this is what he said, and it's great. I should start with this every Sunday. I understand that I am here to speak and you are here to listen. Let's hope we both finish at the same time. <laughs> That'd be great, right? So I found these five things that I think could help us to be better too quick to listen. Here they are. Number one is this. We start to love one another as God calls us to. Okay, Simon Kistemaker says this, listening is loving the neighbor as oneself. His concerns and problems are sufficiently important to be heard. So listening requires that we see one another as made in the image of God, that we say you have dignity and value and worth, whether I agree with you or not, and I will begin to listen. Secondly, we must limit our exposure to that which destroys us. Limit your exposure because if you do not control your time, something else will control your time. And all the things you look at online, all those news stories, they're designed designed to keep you focused. They're designed to make you irritated and angry. So you watch the next one. You see what somebody said. I didn't see what somebody said. What did somebody say? <gasps> they said that. Boom. And you go to the next one and the next one. You just keep watching and it gets worse and worse. So limit your exposure to that which destroys you. Third, we must read God's word. And that means we listen as we read. God, teach me as I read this. Fourth, we must slow down and be still and listen to God above ourselves. And five, we must expectantly want to worship Jesus. We must expectantly want to hear God's words. And those five things, that's in no particular order. It probably should be the exact opposite order I gave them to you in because we should want to expectantly worship Jesus and hear God's words and then slow down and then read God's words and then step into our relationships with others in that. Quick to listen in the Greek text is what is, what is called a present act imperative. It means it is a continuous, a continuous command. So we keep doing it. It's not one and done. We keep doing it. Okay. Quick to listen. Second, then we become slow to speak. Slow to speak. That's important for James's day and our day. If we are in our day too busy listening to all the things that are kind of pulling us away from God, we become quick to speak. And sometimes that thing we are quick to speak is not the truth. Sometimes it's actually lies. Now, historically, when James was written, a lot of these churches were very unstructured. And personal participation was actually encouraged, and that could create a climate where abuse was possible. A speaker could easily be interrupted in a way that could detract from the ministry that God was trying to do. So James says, if you always think, you're so, think so much about yourself and think you know everything, why don't you slow down, listen more, and speak less? 
Now, James is not saying we can't have fast-paced conversations. He's not saying we can't talk to one another, but we should think before we speak. And that sentiment has been known for ages. The Stoic philosopher Zeno, he said, we have two ears and one mouth, therefore we should listen twice as much as we speak. The rabbis said it way better. They said it like this, men have two ears but one tongue, that they should hear more than they speak. The ears are always open, ever ready to receive instruction, but the tongue is surrounded with the double row of teeth to hedge it in and keep it within its proper bounds. Yeah. When we are slow to speak, we don't have as many words that we say that we wish we took back. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to do that. You don't have as many of those words. And yet our natural tendency when we come to God's words is to be slow to hear and quick to speak. Quick to speak all the things that we think rather than hearing what God says. And then we jump to the wrong conclusions and we're quick to judge and we're quick to say the worst. And we're quick to offer all of our advice that may not be scriptural advice. We so easily want to pronounce today all of our opinions and verdicts in every situation and on everybody around us. And yet we are called to be slow to speak. And that is also in the same way that present act imperative. It is ongoing by the Holy Spirit. Continue to be slow to speak. And the last one then is slow to anger. Slow boil, guys. Slow to anger. When we don't listen, when we speak too fast, we tend to become very angry for the dumbest reasons. James will later say that the tongue is a fire and it sets like a forest fire, forest fire ablaze. When we don't listen and we start to speak out of turn, someone gets angry. Then someone else gets angry. Then someone else gets angry. This even happens in a church. I know, shocker, right? It even happens. And then all of a sudden when this happens, a church ceases to be salt and light in the world and we start to become these raving lunatics of crazy or just speaking way too fast. It's all reactionary. We might even say, oh, I'm not angry. I've had people in my office say to me, I'm not angry, and I thought they were going to punch me in the face, and they turn around and walk out the door and slam the door to show how not angry they were. <laughs> Kent Hughes writes this. The bottom line regarding anger and respect to James's desire that we profit from the word is this. An angry spirit is never a listening, teachable spirit. An angry spirit is never a listening, teachable spirit. And don't misunderstand me. Anger in itself is not a sin. It is something that God gave us because anger can usually push us to do the right thing when we don't want to do the right thing. But the type of anger James talks about is what does lead to sin. The type of anger is where we rationalize things all the time, even our heritage. Well, I'm angry because, you know, I'm Irish and Scottish, and those people are either angry, drunk, or asleep. So it's just my, it's how I was born. It's all I got. No, we can't rationalize it. Proverbs 16.22, better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper, than one who takes a city. If you look at our cultural scriptures today, it would be be slow to hear and be quick to speak and quick to become angry because we are living a cancel culture. I can't believe you said that. I don't care what the reason is you said it. I can't believe it. And everybody starts to get canceled. But that's the opposite of what God calls us into as a people. What brings us going against our culture today? What makes us be a people who want to live out a scriptural mandate? Well, James tells us, verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This type of anger usually produces an angry, unrighteous life. So James says, verse 21, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. All right, ready? Sermon number two. Like, that was number one. That was number one. Okay, 
Two's a little shorter, but, but, but here we go. Uh, if you look at the verses we talked about this week, the verse that we start, ended with last week is verse 18, and it says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That's the idea of God's word making us born again, first fruits. He ends this section then with, Therefore, put away filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. He begins and ends all of this with the word of God that is implanted in us, the things that God does, whether it's in our trials or reading the scriptures and how we speak to one another, it all comes because of the gospel. We be, get to be made brand new again. Uh, in John, in 1 John, he says, we are born of God. Jesus says, you must be born again. Peter in 1 Peter 1.23 says, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And so they keep making this connection in our lives of what this means, the word of God, born again, the new life. And when a lot of people hear born again, they think 60s and 70s and all those weird hippies. But this is actually words that Jesus used, being born again, new life. And there are lots of churches throughout the world today, not just America, who never stress the importance of this new birth that God brings. I even read a book recently by the son of Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer was like an apologist and a theologian and a philosopher, and his son grew up with his dad and writes this book and tries simply to destroy his dad's life. He didn't understand what it meant to have a real and living faith. For him, it wasn't about forgiveness and relationship with God. For his son, it was these things, well, Jesus said to do this, and I'll do those things, and that makes me a Christian. I thank God that is not Christianity. That is not Christianity. A born-againless Christianity is no Christianity at all because it leaves us with our own efforts to be those who are slow to speak and, and slow to anger and quick to listen. It leaves us to do all those things on our own. Guys, God has not just given us a special help to get you over your Mondays or your Wednesdays or whatever it is. He has given us a brand new life. He places within us a brand new nature, and He has given us that power through His Spirit. And so when James says in verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that is God's will. That is God's spoken in our lives. It is God's heart and God's mind as revealed in the scriptures and as God leads us through those trials. James tells us that when we are born again, the truth is in us. Verse 21, he says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Now, this is actually really interesting and all you're going to miss it, so I'm going to explain it to you. The word implanted there is what is called a hopoxoglomenon. And you're like, what does that even mean? Okay. All that means simply is this is the only place in the entire Bible that word is used. Okay? Uh, sometimes it'll be a phrase, but right there, it's the only place this word is used. That word is used in a lot of Greek literature, so we know what it means. And it means natural versus acquired. Something planted in you or implanted means it is now natural to you rather than something you have to acquire. I'll explain what that means. If you want to install a water heater or build cabinets in your house, you can go and hop on YouTube and watch videos, and they will show you how to put in a water heater, how to make cabinets and do all those things. What you do is you acquire that knowledge. That knowledge is not natural to you. You are not born with that knowledge. And some people will say, all knowledge in our lives is all acquired. No information is natural. And what James just told you here is that's not true. When you are born again, God implants certain things in you. I think he implants in us the things to understand conscience and sin, who God is, our rescue in Christ. We may not be able to explain all of these things and all these details, but there is a thing where we are made new, implanted in us, and so God is pulling and drawing us and moving us in a direction because certain things are now natural 
to us. It is part of us. Paul uses the analogy of being grafted in. We become grafted in. And I think one of the main ways we can understand if we're born again, does sin bother you? When, you? when you are quick to speak and you say the wrong thing, you're like, oh man, I really shouldn't have said that. I mean, is that something that becomes natural to you? When you hear the scripture spoken, do you want to listen? Do you want to learn? Here's the thing, in our culture today, people say these things like, we're all finding our way up the same mountain. We're all walking up to find God. We have all these different paths, but we all get to the same place, speaking again spiritually. But those words prove that's a completely different mountain because it's not our mountain. In our mountain, we're not trying to get to the top. Our God came down to us. Our God came to rescue us because we couldn't walk up that mountain. Christianity makes us born again. There is no other religion in the entire world that makes this claim, that you get to, that you must be born again. Everybody else is, you follow, you work it out, you figure it out. If you're good enough, then God will love you and he will give you the paradise. No, this is God came to us because we can never make our ways to him. One writer says this, the biblical conception of God is not that he is simply a force of creation, but he existed before creation. He plays with the constellations the way we sift sand through our fingers. And this is the one we're told who has imparted life in us. No other religion says you get to, you must be born again, but Christianity does. You might meet someone in a church service. And you might say, oh my goodness, they seem like a pretty nice person. I had this friend named Brad. I met Brad for 20 minutes and 20 minutes and I go, are you a Christian? The way he treated his kids, the way he treated me, the way he treated his boss. I was just like, dude, there's something. And he goes, oh, yeah, I am. And he was a Christian who actually loved Jesus, not just like one of those Sunday Christians. Right? He was actually actually loved Jesus. And I'm like, wow. And we actually became fast friends. To, there is a degree that God starts to change us. Now, I understand God changes some people slower than he does others. And we want God to change us all really, really quickly. But God does things in his time and his way. And that's what the new birth brings about. There is a problem in our world today and that if there is true divine power, we think that new birth should change everybody instantly all of a sudden. And all the things we don't like should be gone in them and all the things we do like should start to sprout in them because it's all about us. It's not about us. It's about what God is doing. And I get it. Some people who claim the name of Jesus, they, they are very quick to listen and they are slow to anger and slow to speak. But a lot of us are not. But I think when we are born again, that implanted word, it makes us want to be. It makes us want to change. So what do we do about it? How do we start to change? What do we focus on? James says, receive with meekness the implanted word. The word meekness is humility, humble. We humbly receive what God has then planted in us. And this is why when we walk through the trials, when we read the word of God, those things, we humble ourselves and we learn what God wants us to learn. We stop fighting God. We start trusting God. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once said, if we could only see what God has planted in us, it, it'd be like there are, he says, there are oceans of trees in the acorn's cup. And if an acorn falls to the ground and gets planted and a tree comes out, it'll drop more acorns. And eventually, if nobody touches it or chops it down or makes furniture out of it, you'll have a whole forest of trees from that one little acorn. And so he says, there is so much in us that God has planted if we would only trust him as we surrender to him completely as Savior and Lord of our lives. What God has implanted in us is like those oceans in that single acorn's cup. To humbly accept the word means we believe it. We trust God. And if we don't believe it, if we don't accept it, we don't humbly live in it, it could be like acquired knowledge. You could memorize the entire Bible, but you're never going to truly know God that way. 
if we are not humbled and surrendered. We can't have a personal relationship with the God that we don't love, that we have not surrendered to, that we don't trust. Too many people treat God, as one writer says, like a Stepford wife. If you don't know what that means, I'll explain it. Years ago, there was this movie called The Stepford Wives. They made a remake. It wasn't that great. But in this movie, you have these guys, and they kill their wives. It, not a comedy, apparently. So they, they kill their wives, but they replace their wives with these identical robots that look just like their wives. And all their wives do is say, yes, dear, and they bat their eyelashes. And that's, that's what they do. I, I don't know why batting eyelashes was a thing, but anyway. And when someone says, oh, hey, I'm a Christian, but I can't believe the Bible. I'm a Christian, but I don't like these things that God said. They reject the things that God says or don't like. What you're trying to do is make God into your Stepford wife. That way, that's what we're trying to do. People have done it at Element, and with me, they've gone here for years, and I've said one thing they don't like, and they leave, and they don't talk to me about it. They just leave, and I hear like third or fourth hand why they left, because I said something. Guys, if, if a church is involved in heresy, you should leave. Okay, we have closed-handed issues. Who Jesus is, who God is, how we view the scriptures, salvation, sin, new life, but there are open-handed issues, and these open-handed issues lets us come alongside one another and talk to one another and kind of hone one another even more. Guys, when we just run away because we don't like something over here, we are not really worshiping God. We're not really loving one another. If you have a view of the Bible or God that can never contradict you, if that's what you have, you are not in a relationship with the living God. Because how could God ever show you where you need to grow, where you need to change? That trial you went through was actually for a good thing. You can talk to our staff. Over the last few years, there are a number of things I've actually, God has changed my mind on. And I'm still struggling with some of those, but I'm walking through those in a way I want to be faithful to God. If we do not humble ourselves under the word of God, we will never have a real relationship with God. If you only have a God who tells you what you think is right. If you only have a God who can never offend you or upset you or contradict you or never crosses your will, you don't have a living God. You have an idol, and that idol is you, and you're worshiping yourself. And then when that God fails, which inevitably will fail because you're worshiping you, you blame the real living God and say, oh, God failed me. God didn't fail you. You failed you. You're worshiping the wrong God. You're worshiping you. We do this all of the time. There are a lot of things in the Bible I think that we may not like or not understand, but if we don't humbly accept God's rule and reign over us through his implanted word, we will never have this organic relationship with the living God that loves us. My wife does not bat her eyes at me. My wife does not say yes, dear. I don't think she knows how. <laughs> but we have a living relationship. We do. Being born again. Living in the word, it comes down to the ideas that we cannot control God. We also cannot control the people around us where we're never listening and always telling them what's wrong with them, never being open and receptive. Because we cannot live that way and expect to come to the word of God humble and want it to teach us. We cannot come that way and be receptive. Our entire spirit has to be one that comes in humility. And when James talks about all these things, we must understand the opposite of anger. It is not self-control. It is humility. It is being a humble people. When we have a problem with anger, it's usually because we don't have humility. So now let me pull this together really quick for you. I think we humbly come to the word of God. When we study it, it's going to invigorate us. When we trust God and live under his rule and reign in our lives, we step into new life. And when we are humble and things in our lives go in a direction we don't like, if we're humble, we sit down with the word of God, we pray, and we say, okay, God, you must be wanting to teach me something in this. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm going to listen and I want to learn. I need you to show me. Where a proud person gets angry because their life isn't going how they want, how they think it should go. That's the reason they're angry. And I think a person who doesn't listen is proud. 
And a person who doesn't listen is angry, and a person who doesn't listen is quick to speak, and they're always upset because the way their life is going is not the way they want it to go. And they will never sit down and just say to God, God, I must need to learn something here. And that's who we must be. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Salvation comes because of the gospel. Our lives change because of the gospel. But that, God brings us to a place of humility. Do you know that Bill Bennett wrote this book called The Book of Virtues? And actually wrote two of them. You know what virtue is not in the book of virtues? Humility. Yeah, because it's not an American value. It's not an American virtue. And yet God calls us all throughout the scriptures if we're ever going to be a people who actually humbly and lovingly live with him and love one another, we must become a humble people. That's who we are called and meant to be. And one of the ways that I think God reminds us that humility in us is to show us that it's not a mountain we're trying to climb. It's not this thing we're trying to all get to God one day, we're all going to get there. No, it's that God had to come down to rescue us because we could not save ourselves. And this is one of the reasons every week at Element we bring you guys to a place of communion where it's a moment of reflection where you realize that it is Christ's body that was broken for us. It is Christ's blood that was shed for you and me. And that is the reason that we get relationship with God again because of what he did. I'm going to invite the, the band to come up. And as they do, I'm going to invite you to take communion. You, know, you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken. You drink that grape juice as a reminder that it is Christ's body and Christ's blood that was shed. That we, again, cannot save ourselves. We humbly come before him and say, teach us. If you are here today and you're in a, a spot where you feel like you are always slow to listen and very quick to become angry and very quick to share your opinion. And sometimes maybe you put yourself in a lot of situations you should not be because of how fast you get angry. And you want us to pray with you about that, to talk to you about that. Uh, grab Justine at the Welcome Center. She will connect you with one of us. We'd love to talk to you about that. If you have never come to the place where you understand the implanted word in us, being born again, that God places certain things in us so that we actually grow and love and honor and worship him and all that we do, we would love to be able to pray with you about that. So talk to her about that. There's offering boxes next to every door because our God has been so good to us. We actually do not pass a plate at Element. What we do is always a response to what God has done. And that is why we have offering boxes around the room so we can give because our God generously gave to us. And I would encourage you to grab those sermon notes and take those questions and talk to your friends and your family or your gospel community about those this week. Maybe ask those around you to be honest enough with you to see where you are quick to become angry and quick to speak and slow to listen. And then maybe be quicker to listen when they tell you those things and not just get angry and talk over them when they tell you the truth. No? Okay. Guys, our God is good. Our God is good. And I say this to you every week, that when we are a people who humbly walk with him in all of these ways, when we surrender all that we are to him, our God leads us into these great places of brand new life. Let us be those who are quick to listen to God, who are slow to speak our own opinion and slow to become angry, and in humility walk in the implanted word that God has placed in us, because our God, again, is good. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that you would take and move us to a place where we would hear you. We would hear the words that you have spoken over us. That you would have us surrender all that we are to you. That we would humbly step into those places that you have called us into in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our struggles. 
that we would see the places you are leading us through those. And God, in our lives, if we are honest, we are a people who tend to not listen that readily and speak way too quickly and get irritated about so many things. And yet I ask that you would change us to move to the place we reflect more of who you are, that we are patient, that we are loving, that we are honoring you and how we live, and that we are your ambassadors in reflection to the world that is around us. Father, I ask that you teach us to understand the good news of what the gospel brings, our rescue, and that leads us to a place of humility, that leads us to a place where we honor you with all that we are. Not because we're saved because we do the right thing, but we are saved because you came to us to rescue us. And how we live then becomes that response. And so teach us in humility to live responsively to what you've done. That we would be a responsive people who are quick to listen to you. And then, we step out in this world and become your hands and feet to honor you in all things. We assist in your son's good name. Amen. I'm going to ask Phil to drop the blinds on the side. And as he does, um, take a few moments right now and, and figure out in your head where you think you are really just slow to listen and the places where you become angry so quickly and the places where you're always wanting to share your opinions to everybody else rather than maybe slowing down and listening to what God is saying. And then maybe come to the place where you move and want to humbly accept that implanted word, to, be, to walk in what God has said and what he has done, to begin to honor him in all things first and foremost, so that we would be those who are seen to worship God first, even if your team loses today.